Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Today, Tilly and I began an experimental piece called the Tilly Victor Friendship Project. Inspired by Audio Smut and the Heart podcasts, I ran out and got an H1N Zoom mic. Um, it's the newer version of what Caitlin Prest would have started recording with when um, she was recording Audio Smut. Seriously, if you've never heard of the podcast, go listen to it. The Heart is still available everywhere. It's still groundbreaking in my opinion, even if she and I disagree, seemingly, on the possibility of non-monogamy as a functional relationship style. While we don't intend to come close to the alternative excellence of press early work, we do want to see what it would look like if we tried documenting our entire friendship. So, yeah, we're going to document our entire friendship, all the experiences and such, and do our best to not talk to each other much outside of a recorded environment. It's kind of a weird experiment, but I think it would be neat to look back on this in a year and see where we are and how we feel about our experiences then. We could even, like, re-watch one of our old episodes or re-listen to it and then record a new episode with our comments. Unfortunately, the H1N Zoom sounded great on my live monitor because I live monitor all my recording. However, the device has this feature where it can save in whatever format you want, and apparently it is possible to save in very low quality MP3, so my live monitor was telling me I was recording really good sound quality, and then when I went back to play the file back afterwards, I was like, oh, this is notably less good. Hashtag learning experiences. So the quality isn't where I would like it to be, but I also promise to improve on that in future for all of y'all. So today we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, robots, capitalism, and sexually transmitted infections. That sounds like, you know, a whole bunch of things all in the same category. That's a fair first conversation for friends, right? Okay. So the friendship is now being recorded. Excellent. So you offered to bring a whole bunch of food. Yeah. Do you want to describe where we currently are? Uh, so we are just below the Bloedel Conservatory in Queen Elizabeth Park, which is a park I have not spent very much time in. I think I've been here once uh -huh. beforehand. Um, and I brought a bunch of food because sharing food is important to me, mm -hmm. and I like feeding people. And we had a bit of pre-negotiation about, like, your food restrictions, oh, and geez. I have a list of food restrictions too. Right, right. Um, and so that's also a way for me to manage my food restrictions is to be in charge of the food. Right. <laughs> yeah, I can respect that. Yeah. So what I did was I brought a bag of like prepared little carrots. That's exciting. Oh, 
and a whole barbecued chicken from Safeway. Amazing. And a container of strawberries that I picked earlier this week so that I could make a bunch of jam. That's exciting. Oh, and a bottle of... I do like my strawberries. Good, good. And a bottle of fizzy water. Montelier. Yeah. Carbonated natural spring water. Unlike that artificial non-carbonated garbage. <laughs> I don't know where that's been. <laughs> exactly. This, this you, you know, you can at least read the label. You have some guarantees. <laughs> that's right. It says water. I believe there's water inside. Mm -hmm. <sighs> we are in beautiful Queen Elizabeth Park. Tons of lush vegetation, greenery around us, flowers, even an evergreen tree. Just a reminder that we're. Do you happen to know where the waterfall is? This way Sorry. Uh, is there a waterfall? Apparently there's a waterfall. I did not know there was a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. I know there's a conservatory and uh, there's like a fancy restaurant. Uh-huh. And um, there's a few other things I saw because I, I looked at the park website to see if they had picnic tables, but... They do not. So we are on a pirate skull and crossbones blanket yep. in the park eating. Yeah. Or about to be eating. About to be eating. This is interesting. I've never done mic'd eating before. I know. I feel like this may gross some people out, but I'm I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. They have been consensually warned. I know. I think we might have to do something around the carrots, though, because I know, like... Crunch, crunch, crunch. Yeah. That can be intense. All right. How do we want to perch this chicken? I'm not sure. There is, there is at least one knife. Is there only yeah, one knife? There should be a second knife somewhere. Maybe it's still in my backpack. Mayhaps I will cut some chicken for the both of us. Excellent. Oh no, uh, plastic is a uh, uh, oh. Um uh, I'll go get that. Um you're also attached to the Oh. Okay, I'm gonna unclip. Okay. I got it. I won't say anything interesting. <laughs> Don't say anything interesting. Or I won't say anything. I, won't. I see, I see. That makes sense. There you go. Thank you. All right. Okay. <sighs> so, tell me about this um, this friend meeting that we're doing. Uh, so, yeah. So we. So I had listened to the shadows on your recommendation, uh -huh. which is kind of like an audio play yeah. on CBC um, that documents a relationship. And we, t we enjoyed podcasting together the other day. And yeah. so it just occurred to me that, like, what if we actually document the process of, like, getting to know each other and becoming friends? And mm -hmm. would that be interesting? Um, and I'm, I'm kind of also very always interested, and I have been for a long time, in the fact that in the 21st century, we can document our lives to like... An extent never before. Right? And, and so... Like we can literally record video of ourselves at a very affordable rate. And, and it's so on, accessible. On our phones even. Right. Like uh, even not great quality, but... Yeah, and then we can broadcast it and we can share it with people. Mm -hmm. And I've been sharing my life on the internet since about 1994. <laughs> I don't have like a great archive. It's like 
scattered in bits and places um, and occasionally comes up and surprises me but most of it is just like lost somewhere mm -hmm. stored on someone else's archive um, so I'm that was the era of bulletin boards yes I, I'm an old-school bulletin board I appreciate geek. that because that is like back in the day of IRC and like Internet relay chat for those that don't know what IRC stands for. Yeah, the I, in, I call it the internet before there was an internet. Sure. Yeah, I mean the internet did exist, but it was mostly like an academic yeah. realm. Military but, even. Yeah, but what what we're referring to is mainly services that were hosted on people's home computers, so you would dial up using um, the telephone, using a modem which used the telephone. Right. Um, the telephone connection in your house and you know leave messages for other people and correspond and hopefully like develop friendships would pick up the phone to use it for its intended original purpose and it would like corrupt one of your downloads and you'd be like no I've been downloading for like three hours to try and get this two megabyte <laughs> video game yep yes oh my so many fights in my house growing up yeah I still remember the first time I downloaded like a three and a half megabyte video game. I remember being so happy I got this like demo that like it could like render really crude shapes in a room and you were a bug that flew around and you were trying to like eat food. And I remember just having my mind blown that like the physics of that were like calculatable in real time and possible. Yeah, I remember. I think that the thing that really um dates me as as in the the era of the internet I remember is I remember ASCII porn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this was an era where you would use the symbols on your keypad to make a picture, specifically a pornographic image, because people didn't have enough bandwidth to actually, you know, share photos or anything like that. Right. So, yeah. ASCII porn. I haven't thought about ASCII porn in like at least two decades. <laughs> and I think I only really saw it in passing, to be perfectly honest. It, it did not hold, like it didn't hold great erotic interest for me. No. Um, me it either. was kind, yeah, it was kind of amusing and very cartoonish. And I, I think I was more fascinated that people had literally spent hours Mm -hmm. creating these and distributing these. Like so. it's pretty incredible when you think about how long it would have taken. Yeah, and like figuring out like the different symbols and how they corresponded to like shapes in the body and... Right. Actually, one of my oldest internet friends, mm -hmm. Rowan Litkovitz, did okay. you ever cross paths with Rowan? I don't think I did. Oh, he's kind of old school internet famous in Vancouver. Okay. Um, That's he, very niche right there. Very niche. Very um, niche. Actually, what's really funny is his Instagram handle is niche interests. Okay. Because he also is heavily involved in the accordion scene. Amazing. So, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. And uh, he still maintains the Mystigree, like he runs the Mystigree art group, which I used to publish poetry through in the mid-90s, and so people are still out there, like, making all sorts of, like, old-school art, and, like, he recently 
um, showcased a bunch of really amazing typewriter art hmm. where people were, were doing beautiful like drawings using typewriters and things like that and yeah that's really neat mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying just having like a lazy day yeah it's really good I um yesterday Kathleen and I got noticed that we had been accepted into a housing co-op Oh, that's exciting. That's very exciting. Um, and we're going to move August 1st. So part of my brain is like, that's it. Like, push everything out and just work as hard as you can to make this happen. Right. And the rest of me is like, wait, you have to have breaks and you have to create pauses and you have to still refresh yourself so that you you can sustain this effort for the next four weeks oh that irritating self-care voice <laughs> telling us to treat ourselves well what is this nonsense i know sometimes it masquerades as my therapist's voice sometimes my psychiatrist's voice sometimes my good friend's voices you know mm -hmm. yeah either way all lying just push yourself until there's nothing left <laughs> that's what you really are oh god i'm just kidding obviously uh. I say obviously, but it's not that obvious no. for folks that have that drive. No, and also our culture is currently like with like right. stage capitalism and the gig economy and people having to work two or three jobs just to survive or to obtain some level of abundance and comfort in their lives. Yeah, it's not super obvious to, to talk about, you know, taking breaks and taking pauses and how that has like so much value and is so important to do. Mm -hmm. I think what's neat about the whole late state capitalism conversation is like, or late stage, we aren't, we haven't even started talking about like how we're going to deal with um, manufactured slaves. Because mm. currently, there's this, I think there, is, there are several different viewpoints on what's going to happen when we produce the first general purpose robot. Mm. So, are you familiar with this conversation? No. So, you know how when the, when the Apple personal computer came out, it was one of the first general purpose computers? Mm. So, suddenly computers went from like, oh, here's a computer that controls this machine, um, or here's a computer that does these types of calculations. This makes pictures for Pixar, right? Right. The first machines that Pixar used for rendering were pretty much only ever used to render pictures. Mm -hmm. Similarly, um, machines that we would have used for like manufacturing would have only been used to calculate exactly what they needed for manufacturing. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go to a pic. You couldn't walk up to a computer and be like, "I would like you to show me the stock." market right now. I would like you to help me video chat with my friend. I would like to see some pornography, goddammit. Um, you, you can have that kind of like whatever the hell you want in like a computer screen like right there in front of you. Right. That is like an unprecedented level of freedom that no one really questions anymore because we've had computers for, excuse me, a lot of people's natural lives. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what's going to happen is eventually we're going to get to a robot that doesn't just weld the left front door panel on a car. We're going to get to a robot that doesn't just make your cappuccino the way you want it made. We're going to get to a robot that says, hey, what would you like me to do? I can wax your car, I can blow you, or I can go and buy stuff from the grocery store for you. Or I can do all of those tasks and please right. just give me a priority. Right. <laughs> right. Which 
interestingly, I think, is going to be quite an issue for service-type humans. Mm. Because suddenly it's going to be like, I don't want your robot to go shopping for you. I want to go shopping for you. Mm. I, I think that depends. I think because one of the things I observe is that humans enjoy automation and we enjoy convenience, right? Like all of us at some level, our lives have been changed by automation and convenience. But I've noticed that people still enjoy interaction mm-hmm. and um, and kind of the human touch, mm-hmm. right? Like I've, I've definitely experienced and observed this, that like everyone knows that Google can give you directions. Mm-hmm. But there are still some people who are like, no, I want you, Bob, who I trust, right, right, to give me directions right. and give me directions in a certain way that makes sense to me yeah. and who I am. Because, you know, I think we've all had the experience where Google Maps gives us instructions and we're like, turn 200 at the what? Like, what? What did you mean, Google? I don't, I don't even see the street you want me to turn on, right? Right. Or if it's like, take your, take your second right onto this, and you're like, wait, did it include that alley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or occasionally you get like a like a turn slightly right when really you're merging to the left, but it shows up on the map as a right turn. Right. Or um a human would say continue, you know, continue right. through. Right. You know, don't make a turn. Right. I'm going to tear into these carrots yeah. if that's okay. Okay, let's open up the carrots and uh horrify All some of people the... listening if there's anyone listening. If there's anyone listening. Mm-hmm. I'm going to steal one of these mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and That's weigh down for. the rest of them. Great. <sighs> it's been really nice so far. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I think there will... Yeah, I think there will always be people who want the human touch. And also, I feel that for some people, they might get a thrill or enjoyment out of, I am doing things that people use their robots for. Interesting. Right? Like people for yes, whom yes, yes. there's some humiliation or maybe just the totally. power relationship. Thank you for bringing that up. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's starting to happen now. Like a lot of people have Roombas. And I'm sure some people interact with households where there's a Roomba, but they may still be tasked to vacuum for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it terrible that I'm I I just started okay digging into the chicken with you you're okay no you are totally good great I'm just concerned about my mic placement okay so I'm just kind of like adjusting it and trying to figure out my mic okay yeah that that sounds a little better to me excellent Oh, it's so weird to me that both channels show up the same. Because mm. I feel like at some point... So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on oh, facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? 
Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. So yeah, so we were talking Disclaimer. about um, I apologize if I said something hit a nerve or played off a hateful um, idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Right? Like, Chances I, I are in six months, now. I'll look right. back aghast and see something problematic I've since and grown from. Or you're gonna make me I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Resurrection by Uncle Mel. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Sazumunus, Stolo, Sawasi, and Tsleil-Waututh. Nations. Yep. Shout out Aesthetic to the Sikwepmik Nation, mm-hmm. on whose land I got my degree. Which makes me wonder Considering about what the Camelot really Indian Residential School was in that, in 1996 when I was 10, right. um, I have found nothing but so unimpeachments and kindness in the Tukwepmik folks with whom right. I interacted. I mean, beyond our dishwasher. Let's never forget right. genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing Yeah, that's a robot. I love again. my robot dishwasher. Like, I'm so grateful for it. Um, that pe- certain people will engage in nostalgia about, you know, oh, the 80s when almost no one had dishwashers. Right. And, you know, no one had a Roomba. And, right. you know, needing to, to do all these manual tasks. Yeah. I mean, it's not like when I have my, uh, you know, a service submissive um, that, I'm, that I'm playing with. It, it very rarely would I say, like, wash my clothes in this wash basin on this washboard. Mm-hmm. Um, because even the final product won't necessarily be as good as the robot. <laughs> True. And I think it's kind of interesting to start asking, like, as we start designing sex more and more to be exactly what we want with less and less effort, there is some, I have some fear anyways, around being like, oh yeah, well I would rather just get blown by like the Slutbot 3000 because like it's exactly what I want every time. But think about like the transgressive weirdness of trying to like fuck a human trying to fuck another human and like yes it's gonna be like it's gonna be considered like I think just for reproduction at some point Mm -hmm. and it is gonna be weird it's gonna be like we're doing this weird gross sloppy garbage nonsense where you have to do so much talking (laughs) stupid consent Making sure everyone's happy and comfortable. And right, and trying to describe to the person <laughs> how you programmed your slutbot. Right, right. To be like, well, my slutbot usually does it like this. Right. To be like, what do you mean you have to breathe? I just want you to suck my clip right now. <laughs> yeah. Can I just sit on your face and then, like, you're good for, like, seven minutes, right? I just need seven minutes. It's not even a long time. I know. People will be, like, reading really old SM books to try to figure out how we used to communicate during like right intense deep throat scenes interesting <laughs> yeah see they'll be used for us we'll be around still they'll be used and, for kinksters yeah we'll have things to tell the kids I, li- <laughs> I like that things to tell the kids for sure yeah I just mean that like there's this whole idea of like ownership of robots, right? Because if you have to mm. buy a robot and it costs $20,000 but it gives you a perfect orgasm, it's not that much pricier than a lot of marriages that people are already paying for. Right? Or like, 
you know, long-term sex work situations, right? Where where somebody is a regular client. Right. I'm sure that adds up pretty quick. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, especially if someone's um, just thinking about sex work friends I have that maybe get seen like once a week, for example. Right. And like you're starting to talk about, yeah, that's like 14 grand a year, depending. 15 grand, maybe a little less. Yeah. But yeah, a couple of years, it makes sense to just buy a slut bot. But I think there's a huge human element that people purchase sex work for that isn't really about sex. That's something I've heard a lot of sex workers talk about, right? Yeah. That it's, it's, um, yeah, like a lot of the interactions, it's necessary that there is another human involved, right? I remember I used to, um, be a receptionist for an escort agency right. and there was one client that some of the workers hated seeing and some of the workers found you know a really easy job there was a gentleman whose particular thing mm -hmm. was to slow dance someone in a long broomstick skirt so he would purchase these skirts you know get a date with someone they would go over, they would put on the skirt, they would slow dance with this guy, and that was literally, and then, you know, at the end of the hour, he would give them the skirt, and they would go. And that was, that was it, and about once a month. Yeah, he was about once a month, I think. And, I mean, I guess you could program a slut bot to do that. Definitely. Yeah. I think what's, what's interesting about this human element is it's like, it's, it's the thing that's hardest, I think, to duplicate. Mm. Like with a lot of AI learning algorithms, you can have a robot learn to do, say, discovery for paralegals, or you could have, you know, an AI learn to do surgery. Mm -hmm. um, you can, like a lot of the hardest jobs in society that we covet the most and that are the most regulated are going to be the slowest to adopt because of the regulations. Mm. But they're all doable by AI learning algorithms. The only issue right now is our AI learning algorithms are task-specific. Mm, true. As soon as we come up with a general purpose AI learning algorithm, we are going to have a really hard time as intellectual creatures finding ourselves useful. I'm just wondering how this general AI algorithm, how right. it would accommodate for exceptions. Because I think that's, that's something humans both struggle with right. and at the same time we have a lot of ability to adapt around is, you know, Everyone's gallbladder is located generally on the right side of their body, right. kind of under their ribs, I think kind of behind the stomach. My anatomy's vague. I might be completely but, wrong but about sure, all some, of this. But sure, someplace. It's yeah. located in the center area. Yeah. It's, it's near my tummy. Yeah, it's near your tummy. Um, and generally, almost everyone's gallbladder is there, except I'm like I've heard of people with various types of sure. anatomical irregularities. Sure. So the the surgery bot yeah. is going in and looking for the gallbladder, but it's not precisely where it's usually located on this human. How would the surgery bot respond? What would happen then? I mean, you've already got the person open at, uh, and you're in them. I mean, presumably it would take a look first. I mean, hopefully. So yeah. like, presumably you could just x-ray. And just be like, or oh look, there's no gallbladder. Not, I don't think X-ray. Would you have to ultrasound or? Oh I don't yeah, know, some of the totally other right. Scans. It wouldn't yeah. be an X-ray at all because yeah. it is totally a hollow world. Yeah. I know a tiny bit about this because I don't have a gallbladder anymore. Oh silly Victor, who knows nothing. About <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, just X-ray, right? That shows you everything. Um, uh, yeah, you'd probably need to ultrasound. Yeah. But I feel like um, having a surgery bot do like an ultrasound 
mm -hmm. and be like, cool, like I've completed this. Oh, I've noticed these things. Let's do this thing. You know, like it could it could essentially right. run a full physical on a human, mm -hmm. and it would be just like methodical. Right. Which I mean, that might be an advantage over certain physicians. It would for right, sure. right. <laughs> no, and also, it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily hopefully consider like the the sex or race of the person mm. in their conversational hear what my symptoms are. Right. That is that would be a distinct advantage. I mean, I think we've all I mean, if you're not aware of the differentials for women and people of color and medical treatment, go look it up. Um yes. it's, it's horrifying. Uh yeah, that would be a distinct advantage that right. a although there might be certain reasons to expose the surgery bot mm -hmm. to some of those factors. Um, I'm not thinking necessarily, okay, maybe not the surgery bot, but maybe the like diagnostic diagnostician bot. Right, well that's the whole um, point, is that with something more general purpose, the robot right. would literally be able to sit down as your GP, do incredible comprehensive surgery, um, and then you know, give you nurse style aftercare right. after your surgery and make sure you recovered. It's like we could build highly specialized robots to do these things, and we probably would. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like as humans, we would be more comfortable knowing that's the surgery bot, it cuts things open right. and sews them up. Yes. This is the nurse bot. And in fairness, they would need different things, and it would be cheaper to build them specialized. Mm. But the advantage of having an all-purpose bot is you could pay a little more and have a one-bot hospital, provided that it had all the supplies that it needed. I'm not saying you should have a one-bot hospital. I'm saying for remote locations. True, yeah, because remote locations right now are definitely having difficulty with adequate health care, like right. all this um, unbelievable stuff going on in northern BC about women having to, like, yeah. literally stay in hotels for a month around the time of their birth just to access. Just to close to a hospital. Yeah. That's what um, I'm just, I think... What's going on with my face right now is I'm trying to figure out, like, would I be emotionally ready to prepare to go to a bot hospital? Like, right. would it feel better for me to go to, like, the bot hospital or would I still want humans involved? Even though I, like, and I've had, I've had great healthcare experiences. Right, right. Um, and I've also had terrible healthcare experiences from humans. So sure, I'm trying sure. to decide like do I personally emotionally need the human connection right. and the human presence or would I actually be more assured by the surgery bot? Right. And like to what extent would outcomes of patients be affected by a human element? Mm. Like there's so many things that we haven't really like looked at. Yeah. It's hard to say. Hard to say. But it's it's certainly like things like Oh. If you think about self-driving cars, for example, I don't know why we don't have them already. Like, we do. We just aren't using them, and there isn't more money being put into them. Yeah, I think they test... Um, my, some folks at my work were involved in one of the test runs in Surrey about the self-driving vehicles. I mean, I think, I think part of the resistance around more automation is this like capitalistic problem where we're like how would people make money and how would we know how to treat each other right and right. how 
like how would we value or devalue humans right. if like 50% of jobs all of a sudden became automated? Right. And it, it, the thing with the 50% is it's not going to get better again. Like we have this idea that you know, like, okay, humans have always competed, we're extremely adaptable, so we get rid of driving cars, so what? There's a million things humans can do. But if you look at how much of the economy just transporting goods makes up, it's an enormous sector. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it would, I, I was looking at a video by CGP Grey on YouTube that was called Humans Need Not Apply, mm -hmm. and it was talking about something like, the figures were like over 30%, for like jobs eliminated just if you got rid of every cab in like Canada and the US um, or just Canada let's just talk Canada if you got rid of every cab every truck driver every every person who could be driving their car suddenly has all that time free you're starting to talk about like a lot of human labor being freed up and a lot of paid human labor being freed up which means less money going into the economy and like the figures for the Great Depression I can't remember what they were but they were significantly um, lower than in terms of unemployment rate than just the transportation sector alone. Right. And like there are going to be things that like you can't automate, probably. Um, like there are going to be a lot of like unique cities with unique bays that trucks have to load in a very specific way. Mm. Um, and while you could design an algorithm to just like figure out every venue, I think it would make more sense to do long haul truck driving totally automated and then have local people pick them up and drop them off where they need to go. That makes a lot of sense, especially like if you know what I know a little bit about long haul dri truck driving, and I'm like, oh, that's a terrible job. Right, right. You know, it's um, intense pressure. Um, I mean, not if we, very great conditions. You one know. Of, one of the things we could do is we could say that a human needs to be on hand in any automated vehicle to take over in case it fails, which is an unnecessary piece of legislation that right. fundamentally isn't really going to make us much isn't going to make us make us much safer. I don't think. Yeah, and it it's basically to create jobs, right? Because right. we don't know if that human will be napping, if... Right. Um, yeah, so that calls into question things like, do, does every human need a job? Because right. right now we act on a presumption that every human either needs a job or they should have a job. Like, there's mm -hmm. some moral value in being employed. And... Yes, I there's think that Protestant work ethic. Oh, I hate it. And I'm like, I'm from a long line of like wasps. So <laughs> people that were white before most people that were white were considered white. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and yeah, and and I'm involved. You know, I'm involved in the disability community, and as somebody who has like a reduced capacity to work, period. Um, I really find it internally challenging this idea that like maybe I don't need a job maybe it's fine to not have a job maybe like to just you know. contribute in other ways like an artist or a maker of something yeah to find how you can be useful or valuable or like a community even like just being part of the community yes. because I think it, when we talk about oh you don't have to have a job you can be an artist or a maker we're still talking about valuing a person's output right in a like tangible concrete way and I think we still have to get away from that because that then puts the presumption that if you're not employed there still needs to be this tangible concrete right. output for you to still have value right right that productivity as value mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. which again I think that's something if we automate everything or if we start automating some things right. we still need to deal with because yeah we'll yeah. have so many people unemployed 
Well, and they still a, need to live, right? And, and that's the thing. It's like if we get rid of just transportation, we can try to legislate people back to work in these nonsense job positions, mm -hmm. um, just so that we can continue with the current model of society a little longer. But it's all just buying time. Ultimately, as time goes on, and AI learning algorithms get better and more general, and as time goes on and robots become cheaper to manufacture, right? I mean, when people think of a robot, they think of a big metal hulking beast with lots of electronics, but like, the drones that Amazon is going to be delivering your packages with are also robots, and there's going to be a lot of plastic, lightweight plastic. Mm -hmm. Like, robots aren't going to be as robust as I think we've historically thought them to be. I think they're going to be fairly brittle and disposable and very bulk manufacturable like everything in society. Right. So I have my shoe tying, like, like my little cute arachnoid type oh shoe God. tying robot. That's, that's something that, that will be a very like niche market right there. <laughs> I think a lot of people will not want to have giant scary robot spiders tie their shoes for them. <laughs> but I mean, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> and other people will be like, I'm never coming to your house ever again because right. you have a shoe spider. Right. And literally like... The spiders will be built, have an inbuilt sense of shame. You just point at them and yell no, and they scurry away and hide. Or, or you, I don't know, like you have a remote for them, so you can be like, okay, between, you know. It wouldn't even really be a remote, though. It's going to be a phone app, right? Right, a phone app where I program my spider that, like, okay, Kona's coming over at 2 p.m. <laughs> Get the fuck out, because she is going to kill you. Exactly, like hide in your spider box. Oh, my God, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> And like screen cap and send to Kona. Look, I programmed the spider away. You can will, come over yes, now. You think it's safe for you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. That that touches into the whole universal income idea mm. of of how because like there are so many ways that capitalism fundamentally makes us less horrible as humans to each other. And so many ways in which it falls completely short of that of that laudable goal. It's like when people talk about our capitalism currently in Canada, the current meta of capitalism, yeah. we're talking about one in which children have legislation preventing them from being exploited as child workers in factories here. here. Mm -hmm. Specifically here. Specifically here. Not you, you know, we right. will not import... Goods that have been manufactured by, by virtual slave labor, essentially. Yeah. Which, which a lot of our goods are. They're it, manufactured yeah. by standards that we don't as a society ethically agree with workers being treated under. And yet, we'll still buy an iPhone from whatever the Foxconn or whatever factory it was that had suicide nets up. Yeah. So it's like when you, when you hear about that, it's like such a... And I, and I believe Apple did eventually pull work from those factories and move their, their products to other factories. If for no other reason than it was a PR nightmare. <laughs> Which is a horrific reason to make that change. <laughs> and and it's often the only reason people make those changes. And at the end of the day, at least the change got made. Mm -hmm. But it's fuck capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am I am very um like yeah, I'm I'm getting more and more anti capitalist. I'm definitely one of those people who like the older I get the more radical I become just because I'm like, this system is unsustainable and it is terrible and it is like, it is literally ruining the lives of so many people. Right, right. Like, yeah. and has significantly impacted my life in a negative way. Yeah. Um, that I'm just like, but I'm torn also because I like, like, cheap 
shiny plastic things and <laughs> you know I I like being able to go on my phone and with a certain press of certain keys a box shows up two days later with whatever goods I want in the world shipped to my front door that is incredible convenience yeah and human beings will allow a lot of crimes against humanity for some for some convenience oh yeah like it, it's funny how little it takes to placate human beings as animals yeah, and I, it, there's there's all these weird workarounds. Like, I try to have certain practices around, like, where I get my clothes from and how I get them and, you know, the organizations I'm willing to directly support and things like that. But then I'm like, except if it's from a thrift store, then I'm okay buying, like, the Walmart brand things from the thrift store or Forever 21 from the thrift store. Right. And then there's this whole other category in my mind of when I'm doing costuming, all of a sudden it's all about cheap, shiny plastic shit from China. <laughs> and, right. like you know. Like, the, the cheaper the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm really... Uh, I'm really trying to work a bit better with my own personal morals and practices around these things. But it it's amazing how your brain just, like, will create a little, like, cheerful little workaround so that you don't have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Definitely. I think that's a very human thing, our ability to suspend our our sense of values for what makes sense in a situation to us. Yeah. Like, but what, mean, 50% of speculative fiction is about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's, that's, that's like Margaret Atwood's body of work right there. I, I'm specifically thinking of Ursula K. Le Guin's, oh, yeah. um, The One Who Walks Away from the Amelos. Have you read that? I've read The Dispossessed, and I've, I've read right. a couple of other ones. I have not read that one. Yeah, so it's a short fiction that's basically like, there's this utopia... And the cost of the utopia is one child suffering enormously their entire life. And that's it. And it's, I feel like she's kind of like, boom. That's all I have to say. Well, I mean, it's the classic anti-utilitarian argument, right? Mm -hmm. That, like, you can't just... Like, ethics isn't as simple as summing up the collective good and the collective bad. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the counter-argument to utilitarianism being used for everything. It's like, well, what about this one situation where literally you could magically make everyone's suffering go away, but just enormously place it on one person? Is that ethical? <laughs> yeah. And some people would say it is. I would disagree, but <laughs> I'm, I'm an ends do not justify the means human, which means even if the ends are, humanity is ultimately better off as a whole, and who cares about this one individual that suffers for everyone else? I think yeah. most people know in their core that's not... That's not good. That's not good, but I have a hard time saying in a black and white way, right. like, whether or not I agree with that or not, because right. I'm like, it is, I think it's so difficult as you're functioning through the world, because you're making these kinds of decisions all the time, right. like micro decisions, right? About like, am I supporting the plastic straw ban? Right. Right. Which severely impacts people with certain types of disabilities. Right. Um, even though 90% of people using straws don't need to use straws, but there's the 10% who do need to use straws, and there's specific reasons why plastic straws are better than other types of straws, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's the thing is, like, I have... We can also manufacture paper straws, like like paper and cardboard. Like, A&W has some cardboard yeah. straws, I believe. Yeah, and but they're not... Thinner. They're not... Yeah, they're 
Um, they're a little too hard. I, yeah. I totally agree with there's, you. Like, there's not, they're not always super useful. And plastics yeah. are very effective and very cheap. Mm -hmm. And when you think about all the problems with plastics in the world, straws are not the be-all and end-all of that problem. Like, no. straws are a very small part of the plastics issue. Yeah, it's, it's super symbolic. It's a strange hill to choose to die on for the city. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. It's very strange. Yeah, like, there's... I know they could like be like that's it we're going to reduce like we're going to ban a certain amount of like we're going to create a threshold of like plastic imports because like we're such a major port city right for western Canada yep. we could just be like we're only allowing x amount of tons of plastic to be imported through our port from here on it like there's but like shipping is so cheap and plastic is so cheap, they would just find other ways of trucking them in from the U.S. and they would just get imported to Seattle and trucked up instead. Yeah. Although you could then, I don't know, yeah, then it becomes a border issue. Yeah. Last thing we want is another tariff war. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like every time there's that whole softwood lumber thing that comes up and it seems to come up every 10 years <laughs> or so where the U.S. is like, we're putting a tariff on Canadian lumber and we're like, uh, all right. Okay. And then they're like, but we do want you to ship us logs so that we can mill them into boards ourselves. And then we're like, okay, so do we say we aren't shipping logs? Do we put a tariff on logs going? Like, what? Yeah, yeah. But How it just becomes, like, such a shitty... Like, the whole idea that there is a North American free trade agreement is just so nonsense to me. Like, mm -hmm. when, when I literally, like, buying medical equipment, <laughs> it's like you still pay tariffs when it comes across the border. <laughs> Yep. So, like, yeah. things that, like, as a Canadian, I feel like shouldn't have any tariffs on them have tariffs and taxes. And it's just, like, yeah. it isn't available in Canada. It's not my problem. Like, I need this thing. I'm buying this thing. And then you're going to get charged tax on it. So, I'm like, I guess it's a luxury item for people who can afford it. Yeah. And, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pardon so, me. So many like, feels. <laughs> I don't know if we want to talk about the tampon tax and, like, right. the well, fact that the Canadian totally government. Can. Yeah. I just, I don't think I want to talk today about the tampon tax and the Legit. fact that the Canadian government, like, considers, like, so much medical stuff, like, basically luxuries that it doesn't have to cover. And then they were like, but we have great health care. And I'm like, unless you're a diabetic or unless right. you need to use catheters or... Right. But yep. interestingly, in a lot of Canada, if you have HIV, all of your PrEP is covered, I think. Nice. Yeah, it's in, like, certain, certain provinces only. Mm. But I believe there is provincially funded... Yeah. Prep in BC, if I I'm think not mistaken. I saw the other day that certain populations it's covered from, which is like, on one hand, it's kind of stigmatizing, but on the other hand, if you're in that population and want to go on prep or need to go on prep, right? Super, con right? I right. don't know. Yeah. It was kind of neat when I was looking at getting Gardasil, which I did eventually end up going and getting because mm -hmm. I set aside the money for it and then went. Um, even though I didn't really need it, to be honest, like being vaccinated almost was for treating the stigma of being unvaccinated mm. rather than for treating any like, yeah, because it's like, I don't know. I think people, people get really upset around STIs because of the stigma. Right. But it's like at the end of the day, like I had HPV once mm -hmm. it was treatable in one treatment that wasn't painful. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't difficult. It wasn't, like, emotionally difficult for me. My doctor's actually pretty decent about it. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it was healed in less than two weeks, and it was in a condom-protected area. Nice. So, that's, that's kind of a... Which says a lot right there, yeah. but also... <laughs> right. But also, like, it's not the end of the world. Like, no. It's just, no. like, these things... 
these things could have much more serious consequences. Sure, there are cancers and things you can get. There are reasons why we vaccinate mm-hmm. for it. But at the same time, like, so someone was HPV positive or HSV positive yeah. or chlamydia or gonorrhea. Like, aside from HSV, which isn't technically, like, curable, it is still treatable and there are still drugs you can get for it. It's mm-hmm. like, what are the real consequences of an STI? And, like, I honestly think the stigma is worse than the, than the sickness in almost every case. Oh, definitely. Like, I, I deal with that because um, I'm HSV positive. And, sure. And actually, I'm going through this period right now where it's like... I'm not getting adequate control from antivirals, which is a really it's so shitty. Like I have, I have new outbreak sites because my body's just freaking out and the virus is going everywhere. I don't even quite understand the mechanism of how this is happening right now. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm just. That's why you have a water bottle and I have a different water bottle. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize that. That's so thoughtful. So I have, um, I have like facial herpes. So I have like HSV one, I think it is. Yeah. I have HSV-1 and I have facial outbreaks and genital outbreaks, which... Of HSV-1? Yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. That's so uncommon for what I hear. Yeah, it's... Luckily, I only get them like twice a year on my genitals, which is nice because it's like super uncomfortable. Um, You must have contracted both sites at the same time from the same person yes yeah yes Yes. yeah and I know who it was too I'm so sorry to hear yeah I'm kind of like she and I were had this very passionate like we're gonna like somehow be linked forever relationship and now I'm like yeah I have this virus in my spinal fluid because of you (laughs) which is like I find it very poetic in in a that we are linked for the rest of our (laughs) lives but not in the ways that we intended yes yeah I'm sorry to hear that. That sounds like a bit of a struggle. Um, Right now it's a bit of a struggle just because I really don't want to spread the virus to anybody else, even though herpes is so common in North America. Right, right. um, And it's very manageable for most people most of the time. And people with HSV-1 are almost, they almost, once you are, once you have caught it in one site of infection, like oral or genital. Yeah. It's very uncommon to catch it in a second site. Yeah. It's considered like nearly, Im- like it's implausible. It's very unlikely unless you don't have the time to build the antibodies from the first infection. So yeah. if you get infected in, on all sites all at once, you can get symptoms in all sites, but it's like your scenario is the only scenario <laughs> I've heard of where that's a thing. I'm so sorry. I love being exceptional. <laughs> Legitimate. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you just have to be like, and this happened, and this is my reality now, right? Um, You know what else it means, though? It means when you play with people that have HSV-1 orally, they're really unlikely to get it genitally. That's that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tell them to do their research, so they're making their own risk profile decision, obviously. But but just so you know, like, it's actually kind of a blessing that it's, I mean, I hate using that word, but (laughs) it's kind of fortunate that it's HSV-1 specifically because (laughs) so many people have it, which means they have a resistance to it. Yeah, which is, it's reassuring in North America. However, I have a person who is not North American. Who doesn't have HSV-1? Not as far as we know. Okay. Yeah. And and I had forgotten to tell them. Oh, <laughs> that's intense. Which we found out because we were having like a later conversation after we had done some risky stuff. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and so they were like, what? And I was like, I thought you knew. Like, we've known each other for years. What do you don't? And he was like, no, I don't know. And I was like, oh, well. 
Do I I have? Buckle in, friend. I've got some news for you. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And that's how I found out that it's not as common in Europe. Sure. And I'm like, wow, okay. So they were very chill about it. Very, I, I had a harder time with the whole thing than they did. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's that, it's because I went through mid-90s sex education, which was very much like, sex is this thing that can kill you. Yes. And if, if you, you have sex, you will die. You will die. And if you're not super responsible, you will die. And if you spread it to other people, they might die, right? Like that, yeah. that you will, was... You, will, you are killing yourself by having sex and you might kill other people. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that, that was my sex ed. Um, so it's still hard for me to shed this idea of like, I need to be super responsible about my sexual health or else all these terrible things happen. And of course, you know, like stuff has happened. Like I've had needle sticks during play piercing scenes. I have not always had super protected sex all my life. Like obviously. I mean, I'm raising my hand right now. Right. Like me neither. Right. Like hence the HPV infection. Right. Almost. Well, what I found out is what they're doing with sex ed now, because I'm, I'm close to a sex contemporary sex educator mm. is they're acknowledging that people don't want to have protected sex all the time right and people don't want to use condoms all the time and so instead of the sex education i got which was basically like wrap yourself head to toe in latex so you don't kill everyone right. is more like get tested frequently have a lot of communication you know deal with the consequences i'm so bitter <laughs> that, that the things are getting better i know I know. I'm like, but yeah, I actually, I had to at one point, I was like, can you sit down and basically like give me the one-on-one speech? Because like, this isn't making sense and I don't understand how it works. And yeah. 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 I wish the sex education had been like that for me. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Although, I mean, it's totally fine to be a little jelly of like, oh, look at all the amazing things that are available now. That's a really good thing. Right. It yeah. Just, it just feels frustrating a little. True. True. Um, it was really thoughtful for you to bring a second water bottle just for me. Thank you. No problem. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I actually, I realized I prepared questions. You did? I did. That's exciting. I know. And I think my first question is, uh, why did you agree to this experiment of podcasting a friendship? So give me give me one sec, and then I'll okay. get you to ask that again. All right. So we are like 34 minutes in, and I need to make some notes. Great. Okay. So okay. I would actually like to go and use the washroom, and then when I come back, maybe we'll do a different session, and then we can do all the questions for Victor. And that, like, that sounds great. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for letting me lie on my back and eat strawberries. <laughs> Where did you get the strawberries from, by the way? Um, Emily Farms oh, in like actual Weston Island, like local. Strawberries. Yeah, we those, those are the best strawberries. They they really are, and we went on Monday and picked them, which is why they're a little bit, you know, juicy. Uh, but yeah, made that me very like, happy. That is a hidden gem in in the Greater Vancouver region, I mm-hmm. think. Also, the Rifle Bird Sanctuary out there is amazing. I've never been. You went to Emily Farms and didn't go to the Rifle Bird Sanctuary? We we had a, we we were very on schedule. I have a friend that I do these things with, and 
so something came up. Oh, I had to go see my physiotherapist. So we literally were oh, like, bam, 8.30, pick up, go out to the farm, exactly two hours to get berries, get lunch, go to physio, right? It was got you. Yeah. So if you book an extra two hours while you're out there, Rifle, um, George C. Rifle Migratory Bird Sanctuary mm -hmm. is, if you keep going down that road Emily Farms is on, mm -hmm. it goes around a bend, a bend, and a third bend. And then at the end, there's this like BC government bird observation post, and you turn left there. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, you follow the road the only direction that makes sense to go cool. because it winds a few times. Yeah. And then you go down this like long, um, raised um, earth road surface. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it's a paved road, but anyways, this raised surface, and there's like lake almost, like marshland on mm -hmm. either side of you, and it goes out towards the ocean like that, and then there's a parking lot, and it's like five bucks for adults to get in, and you can hand feed like red-winged blackbirds, chickadees, ducks, geese. The geese are gentler than you'd think they'd be. <laughs> Not like Stanley Park geese. Not like Stanley Park <laughs> geese. And then the sandhill cranes. Occasionally oh. you can hand feed a sandhill crane. Oh. It's crazy. When I've been like abroad, I've seen sandhill cranes where people are like taking pictures of them from like, you know, 10 meters away. And they're right. just like in an exhibit or something. And I'm like, Pfft. like I have shots from like, like a meter away from this bird with a DSLR, like <laughs> point blank range, like eye shots and like, but just cool stuff because you can get right up to these these birds. They're not domesticated, they are wild. Do so at your own risk, folks, but right. also lots of fun because cool. they're super big and like when they trumpet, they sound a little bit like a velociraptor's descendant. That's amazing. Yes, more so than a chicken does. <laughs> all right, that's okay. all for me. I'm going to go use the washroom. <laughs> Perfect. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemloopste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.